Welcome again to the Positive Sports Podcast. I'll be your host this evening, Ed Montana. My brother Alex is not available. It's been a while. We've taken a little time off. We've both been very busy with life. But, you know, the sports world goes on, whether we're busy or not. And we had a great weekend of sports. And I wanted to share my thoughts with you and just talk to you a little bit. I missed you guys. I'm sure you guys missed us as well. So here goes. Without any further ado, I'll go ahead and get right into it. I'm gonna talk about uh, I'm gonna talk about UFC 261 because it was really just an incredible event. <clears throat> it was the first event uh, that was had in the U.S. with fans indoors, so full capacity in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, of course, Florida, right? They had 15,700 fans for UFC 261, headlined by Kamara Usman, the defending welterweight champion, uh, being challenged by Jorge Masvidal. <clears throat> now, these two had fought before. This was the rematch, and that was the headliner. But the card was fantastic. The main card was stacked. They had three title fights on there. Uh, for the, not, They don't do that very often, so... As you can well imagine, it was it was a big deal. And the two other uh, fights on the main card were big fights as well. Um, fights that really, you know, you had a, a veteran against a young up-and-comer, both highly ranked, and you had a rematch 11 years in the making. So, <clears throat> we'll go right to the beginning. Let me tell you, the atmosphere in Jacksonville, now I watched the entire card. I watched the early prelims, the prelims, and the main card. The entire card... For most of these USC events before the pandemic, there was no one around. I say no one. There were very few people in their seats for the prelims and the early prelims. I'm talking very few people, like a couple hundred. It just I've been to UFC events, and let me tell you, in the on the prelims, there's very few people there. Now, I go because I'm a fight fanatic, and I want to watch every single fight I can, but for the most part... Not very many fans in the stands. Um, but for this Jacksonville card, I won't say it was full during the early prelims and prelims, but they had several thousand people in there. It, it looked, it was pretty raucous from the get-go. It was, um, it, it just, it was an electric atmosphere. Even Bruce Buffer, the announcer, sounded more jacked up. It, it, it's incredible the energy that, was in that place and it was coming through the TV monitors because you could feel it as you were watching the fights. Now, I don't, I guess I don't remember, right? I don't know if it was that way before the pandemic and maybe it wasn't and now it's just that bottled up energy um, or maybe it's always been that way and it's been so long since we had it that I just had forgotten how intense it was. But I've heard people say this before, and I tend to agree. I think UFC events are the best live events to go to. Like, there's there's pluses and minuses to going to a live event. Um, but there's when you go to a live MMA event, there's far more pluses than minuses. Um, the action happens so fast that that. What you can see happening in real time is not that much different than on TV. Sure, you miss the replays, but whatever. 
you know, other sports have different things that are better. For example, in hockey, it's much easier to follow the puck than it is on TV. Uh, things like that. But regardless, the atmosphere in Jacksonville was absolutely electric. I I didn't realize how much I missed having fans there until I saw that event. And it was, from that perspective, it was absolutely fantastic. So we'll go straight to the main card. The first fight, you've got Anthony Smith against uh, Jimmy Crude. Anthony Smith is challenged for the title. In fact, actually had a chance to win the title. He was fouled pretty pretty badly by John Jones, uh, who was the champion at the time. And pretty much could have gotten John Jones disqualified if he couldn't continue. Um, and, and, you know, he fought through it and ended up losing that fight. But, you know, as you can well imagine, he's a pretty good fighter. Um, he's hit a bit of a rough spot, had a couple of... Um, had a couple of uh, uh, losses here and there. One of them was pretty bad to Glover Teixeira, who is now going to challenge for the um, for the light heavyweight championship here in a few months. Um, so he's he's struggled a little bit, but he's a good fighter. I mean, he's just a good fighter. He's been in the game a long time. He's got 30, 40 fights. I don't I don't even remember how many, but he's you know he's he's a veteran uh, for sure. And um, he was going up against Jimmy Crute. And I'm going to apologize to Jimmy Crute right now because I don't recall if Jimmy Crute is from New Zealand or from Australia. He's from one of the two. I know that probably um, isn't a nice thing to say to Australians and New Zealanders. They probably get mad at that, right? Kind of like we would get mad here if they said that we're from, oh, you're from Canada or the U.S. What's the difference, right? Um, I'm not saying that there's no difference. I'm just saying that I don't know, and I'm looking it up furiously as I'm talking, and I'm not getting there. He's from Australia. I knew it. 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 But on the off chance that I was wrong, I didn't want to say it outright because then I'd feel like a dummy because inevitably if I get something wrong on this show, someone will text me, email me, call me, uh, comment, whatever, and be sure to tell me the one factoid that I got wrong on a hour-long show that I'm doing by myself. But whatever. That's the way it is. I don't mind the criticism. It makes me better. And I, for now, and I now will forevermore remember that Jimmy Crute is from Australia. So that's the fight we have at hand. Uh, <clears throat> like I said, both highly ranked. I want to say Jimmy Crute was 11th, uh, Anthony Smith 6th. So pretty highly ranked guys. Guys that are really one or two fights away from fighting for the title. Uh, the first round, just an absolute banger <clears throat> of a round. Um, both guys have uh, have their way in some of the exchanges. A lot of good shots connected, almost entirely on the feet. Neither neither fighter really uh, wanting to push the fight to the ground. And with about a minute left, maybe a little bit more than a minute, uh, Anthony Smith lands a kick. Right behind the knee or on the side of Jimmy Crute's lead leg knee, which would be his left knee. And Jimmy Crute takes a couple steps back and collapses. And so the first thought is, oh my God, you know, he's really hurt. Like he's, something's broken, right? Uh, somehow Anthony Smith goes over to try to inflict more punishment and, and can't seem to do it. 
gets brought to the ground by Jimmy by Jimmy Crute, and so they end up fighting on the ground for a little while. And on in that exchange on the ground, Jimmy Crute is really taking care of business. He's doing well, and so you kind of forget about the the fact that he collapsed from a, from that leg kick. Um, but then they, you know while they're showing that th- that last minute. They, in the top corner, they show a little replay, and it looks like it's his ankle that just... I mean, it bends absolutely the wrong way, and it looks like trouble. But anyway, the round goes on. He finishes the round, and arguably may have won that round. It was very close. It could have gone either way. When he gets up, I mean, his ankle is... His foot and his ankle are worthless. Hey, somehow he hobbles over to his corner <clears throat> and sits on the stool. But I mean, it is, it, it, it's a mess. His leg is a mess. And he sits down and they're icing it and shaking it. And, you know, the, his corner people are giving him instruction and he's fine. He stands up and you can tell he's not putting any weight on it at all. And at that point, the doctor had already walked in. But at that point now, when the corners are told to get out of the, the cage... Now the doctor starts to talk to him. And the doctor talks to him and he's like adamant that he's fine. Adamant that he's okay. Adamant that he wants to continue. He is, he's got his hands up. He is ready to go. And this place is absolutely buzzing. The doctor steps back and asks Jimmy to take a couple steps forward. And Jimmy does very, very carefully. Very carefully. You can tell he's babying that left foot. But he looks okay. Believe it or not, in spite of the fact that you can tell he's doing it kind of gingerly, he looks kind of normal. Like he's just, it's it hurts, but he's not like he can't move. And then the doctor tells him to go back towards his corner. And when he steps back, because it's a different, because you put your foot down differently... As soon as his foot hits the ground, it just collapses. He almost falls, and he pops up again. And the whole time he's saying, I'm good to go. I'm fine. I'm going to fight. I'm good. I'm good. I want to fight. I want to fight. And But as soon as he takes a step back, you see that, I mean, it, it, something is very, very wrong. And so they wave off the fight. Anthony Smith wins by TKO, Dr. Stoppage. Um, come to find out afterwards, he was transported to the hospital he, they're going to do some MRI <clears throat> and check on the ligaments in his knee, but it was just a nerve issue that had just shot down his leg and, and rendered his foot and ankle useless. I've seen this in other fights before. It happens. And I can think of two other instances. It happened to Michael Chandler in a fight in Bellator, and they stopped the fight. It happened to, it happened to Henry Cejudo in a championship fight against Demetrius Johnson, and this was the second time after Demetrius had beat him the first time, and he went back to his corner, came out, and somehow fought through it and ended up winning that fight. Now, I know there's going to be people out there that are not going to agree with that statement, and I'm not saying that he won the fight in terms of I think he won the fight. He won the fight in the sense that the judges gave him a decision. Three judges, two out of three judges said he won that fight. It's very highly disputed. Uh, there's a lot of back and forth. Uh, but at the end of the day, Henry Cejudo was credited with a win. 
regardless of what <clears throat> you or I as fans may say. The people that matter, the judges, two out of three of them said he won. So, anyway, I've seen it happen before, and, uh, you know, it's it's usually pretty devastating. And all credit to Jimmy Crute. He was absolutely willing to fight, and I don't think that was any kind of showmanship. I mean, he was absolutely determined to fight. Um, and hats off to Anthony Smith, and hats off to that doctor, because I'm sure he was feeling a lot of pressure from... Jimmy Crute, a lot of pressure from the audience to keep the fight going. It was buzzing. It was a great fight up until that point. Um, and, and you know, he did the right thing by by not letting him continue because Anthony Smith would have kicked him there one more time and, and you know, would have caused further damage for sure. And who knows how bad that would have been. So, that's the first fight, which, you know, it's only a round but the drama and the doctor stoppage and the buzz, it was such a, it, there was so much action in that first round that it was just, you're like, all right, this is, we're off to a good start. So we go on to the next fight. The next fight is Chris Weidman against Uriah Hall. Chris Weidman is a former middleweight champion. He beat the great Anderson Silva twice. Um, Uriah Hall is a guy who won uh, the UFC's uh, Ultimate Fighter reality show. Uh, he had a devastating wheel kick in that in, in in that on that show, and he's a guy that has been kind of a fringe contender. He's never quite been in the conversation of fighting for the title, but you know he'd win two and lose, and then win another one and lose one, and then win two more and then lose. So he's kind of back and forth, and so he's never quite been in the conversation to fight for a title. But he was coming off two straight wins. And, uh, you know, he, against some formidable opponents. And there is some talk that maybe with a win over Weidman and maybe one more, he'd be in line for a title shot, right? Uh, so it's a big fight for him. Chris Weidman won his previous fight. He's kind of trying to fight his way back. Uh, I've heard interviews with him previous to this fight saying that he wanted to, uh, you know, wanted to make one more run at the at, at the title and... Felt like he was one or two fights away. He thinks he's a good, uh, a bad matchup for the current champion, Israel Adesanya. And he thinks that he would present a lot of problems, his style, and so on and so on. So, here we go, right? Uh, the one intrigue about this fight is, this fight is a rematch of a fight 11 years ago. When they were on the regional scene in the Northeast, in the New York area. Um, they fought for the middleweight championship of that organization. And at the time, uh, both guys were highly touted. And the conversation very much was, winner's going to go to the UFC. Uriah Hall is a striker. Chris Weidman is a wrestler. And so the thought was, whoever can impose their will, if Uriah Hall can keep it standing, he's going to win. If Chris Weidman can wrestle him and get him to the ground, Chris Weidman's going to win. Well, turns out, as these things will happen sometimes, Chris Weidman knocked him out with a left hook, I believe it was, and uh, and ended up or knocked him down with it, and then you know had some ground and pound, and on he went to win the fight, win that championship, and then go on to the UFC. Uh, Uriah Hall obviously made it to the UFC eventually as well. Um, this fight uh, was it was tough. It was tough. And for those of you that watched it, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, 
It lasted 17 seconds. I don't know if there was a punch thrown that landed. There may have been some, you know, some casual pawing out there, but I don't think I don't think there was a punch that landed. And at 15 seconds, Chris Weidman threw a hard, hard right leg kick. And you can't see it until you see it on the... Re- you don't notice it in real time. But on the replay, you notice it. He throws a hard leg kick. So hard that Joe Rogan actually made the comment before he pulled his leg back. Or as soon as he landed it, Joe Rogan said, oh, hard leg kick by Weidman. You can see it on the replay. He threw it so hard that it hurt. Like, he... he it hurt. Uriah Hall didn't exactly check it. He moved a little bit. May have checked it a little. May have caught it just right. But it didn't look like he did much to defend it. His foot was still on the ground. He turned it slightly, but I don't know. But you can see on Wiseman's face after he hit it, that kind of, ooh, that hurt me. And then when he put his foot down, it was broken. And it bent in ways that a leg should not bend. And certainly not at that. Certainly not at that point on your leg. At that point on your shin. And of course, he collapsed, screaming in pain. Um, I don't think it broke the skin. Thank God. Uh, but he went down, and that was obviously the end of the fight. Very sad for Chris Weidman. Uh, you know, his nickname's the All American. He's a uh, you know, he's a family guy. He's he's kind of a beloved guy. And so, it's really sad to see. Uh, I mean, there's really no other way to explain it. It was it was heartbreaking. And especially when you consider that, you know, he's already been involved in a situation like this. Anderson Silva famously kicked Chris Weidman and broke his leg in a very similar fashion. The difference is... Weidman did it didn't look like Weidman broke his leg when he hit Uriah Hall. I mean, obviously he did, but it didn't look like that, right? When Anderson did it, you could see his foot wrapped all the way around Weidman's uh calf. I mean, it was disgusting on impact. Um and so that was the end of that. Uh it's it's very sad for Weidman. He's had a long career. Um he's definitely on I won't say the tail end, but he's on the backside, right? He's on the back nine. He's he doesn't have a lot of years left. He's considered a veteran, not a not a youngster, not an up and comer. And you know, an injury like this is going to be pretty pretty difficult. He went straight to the hospital and had surgery the following day. Um, you know, it, it's just it, it's heartbreaking to see that happen to any athlete, but especially a guy like him who's a who's a, a good dude. The other thing that was very difficult about that is you see that happen and then they do the interview with Uriah Hall and of course he's just devastated. He 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 wants to win obviously, but he doesn't want to win like that. And and at the end of the day, you know, you don't really want to see career-threatening injuries happen to anybody whether they're your opponent or not, whether you're in a fight or not. You know, it's just not the way you want to see it happen. Um and, and and now you got three fights left. So it, even as a fan, it's kind of hard to watch. And then, 
you know, get excited about the next fight. It's like, ugh, yikes, you know? But <clears throat> onward we go, right? And uh, the next fight up <clears throat> is the fight between Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andrade. And Valentina Shevchenko is the longtime flyweight champion. Uh, she's defended against all comers, and she has been an absolute uh, beast in that division. Um, <clears throat> really, she's she's been incredibly dominant. It's been very hard to figure out who's been more dominant between her or Amanda Nunes at 135-145 because both of them, since they fought each other, have just gone on a complete tear in two different uh, weight classes and are just unbelievable. They are They are head and shoulders the best female fighters on the planet right now. And, um, you know, you can make an argument for one or the other. Obviously, they fought at 135, and Amanda won both times. But both of those fights were very close. In fact, one of those fights, you can make the argument that Valentina won. And so, <clears throat> look, there there is no number one, number two. They are one and one, uh, period. They are absolutely the best uh, female fighters on the planet. And... Um, Valentina has an opponent in Jessica Andrade, who's coming up from strawweight at 115. Now, Jessica Andrade had won the strawweight title against Rose Namajunas, who's on the card later on. She lost the title to Wiley Zhang, who is the current champion, or was the current champion uh, on Saturday night, fighting one fight later. Uh, And then she fought Rose Namajunas again and lost a close decision, and now has decided to move up and challenge Valentina. Um, <clears throat> Jessica Andrade, one of the strongest women you'll ever see in, in the cage. I mean, just an unbelievable specimen, unbelievable work rate. She does not get tired. She, um, she is uh, just a beast. And it's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, it's not easy. She is not an easy night out for anyone. And Valentina Shevchenko, I told you, has, you know, been utterly dominant. In um, at 125. So here they go, and there's a lot of talk before the fight that Jessica Andrade is the one that that really could give her give Valentina a serious run for her money. Okay, I'm in. I want to watch the fight. Uh, we thought it was going to be a stand-up fight. We thought they were going to stand there and trade. Uh, both have skills on the ground. Both can grapple and wrestle and all that. But for the most part, like to do like to do it standing up. Uh, Jessica Andrade more of a boxer type, uh, Valentina more of a Muay Thai type. So she's got more kicks and stuff. But <clears throat> you know, by all accounts, we're going to get a stand up war between these two if we, if it ends up being a war. They start off, and Valentina is is getting a little bit the better of um, of the situation with Andrade in the stand-up. And then at one point, she makes a decision to go and press her up against the cage and get her to the ground. She throws her to the ground a couple times. She doesn't do a ton of damage, but she is controlling Jessica Andrade. And and Jessica Andrade has no answer. She has no answer for Valentina on the ground. And she even said as much after the fight. She said, I thought we were going to stand up. Now, I don't know if that means she didn't train train for being on the ground. I don't believe that's the case, but... Obviously, it was not her expectation that Valentina was going to push the fight into a grappling contest. And Valentina on the ground 
is not she's not a jujitsu person. She's not going to she's not going to go for submissions exactly. I mean she she's got she's got them in her arsenal. She's done them before, but she's not going to go for it a lot. She's going to ground and pound you, and she's going to just maul you on the ground. And so as the rest of that first round goes on, that's what happens. Uh, Valentina very much controlling the fight on the ground. Now, the round ends very clearly a Valentina round 10-9. They come out for the second round, and Valentina, I guess, knew this. And it's, it's really kind of telling because earlier in the week she had made the comment that she liked to break people. She liked to see people break and push them to completely break. Uh, she said that people will break in front of her. She'll start to see the signs and she will push harder because she will want to push them to that breaking point. She won't let them get back. She won't give them the opportunity to recover. So when the second round started and she went in for the clinch right away, I thought, yeah, this is exactly what she's going to do. She is going to grind Jessica Andrade to bits. And if she has to do this for five rounds, she probably will. Well, she didn't have to. Because all it took was a couple of minutes in that second round for her to absolutely, completely grind Jessica Andrade. Had her on the ground, just beating her up. At one point, finally got her in a crucifix and just started raining down punches and elbows. And Jessica Andrade couldn't defend herself. And eventually the fight was stopped. And Valentina is the most dominant 125-er on the planet. Uh, in my opinion, the only fight I want to see, the only fight that interests me for Valentina is to see her fight Amanda Nunes again at 135. Or at 130. or one, I don't think Amanda can make 125. Whatever. But at this point, look. <clears throat> that's the only fight to make. None of these other women have... Anything for Valentina. She even made the comment in the post-fight interview. For those of you out there looking for a weakness, don't waste your time. You're not going to find one. And she's right. She's right. I mean, it's a it, it's it's kind of a silly thing to say. Everyone has a weakness, but in her case, it's really not. She can she can fight on the feet. She can fight in the clinch. She can get down on the ground and ground and pound. She can submit you with jujitsu. She can kick. I mean, I mean, she can do it all. And she's incredibly strong for that weight class. She looked, um, she looked like she was ten pounds bigger than Jessica Andrade. And you know, the thing about Valentina is she trains constantly. She does not stop training. She trains and trains and trains. She takes a week off after the fight and then goes right back to training. And so, you know, her and her and her sister and her coach travel the world together, and that's all they do is train and. Valentina is head and shoulders the best 125 around the planet. And I would dare to say she's probably head and shoulders better than all of the 135ers out there not named Amanda Nunes. It's just that simple. She's just that good. So hats off to Amanda, uh, to, uh, to Valentina on just an, an incredible, incredible, incredible performance. She looked incredibly dominant. Um... <clears throat> Then we move on to the strawweight championship fight with Wiley Zhang and Rose Namajunas. Rose Namajunas is a former uh, strawweight champion. She lost the belt to Jessica Andrade. She beat Joanna Champion twice. Um, Wiley Zhang 
beat Jessica Andrade, and her first title defense was against Joanna, and she had that five-round war with Joanna, and she uh, she beat her. Um, and it was an incredible, incredible fight. Fight of the year, easily, of 2020. It's been almost a year since that fight. So she had a long layoff, and look, she probably needed it because uh, it was an absolute war. And I'm telling you, it was fight of the year. If you get a chance, go on YouTube or UFC.com, Fight Pass, whatever. Look it up and watch it. You will be beyond entertained. Coming into this fight, I thought this was, to me, this was the most difficult fight to pick of the three championship fights. Um, you know, Valentina, heavy favorite. Kamaru Usman's a heavy favorite, plus he's already beaten uh, Jorge Masvidal. Um, this fight, you just never know. Uh, Rose Namajunas is a is a straight-up killer. Wiley Zhang showed she's a straight-up killer, and it was going to be a fantastic fight to see these two women go at it at 115. Um, we uh, we got our answer quick. Uh, the fight started, and Rose Namajunas' movement was crisp. I mean, she was constantly on her toes, constantly moving. She was the target that if Wiley was going to hit her, Wiley was going to have to have pinpoint accuracy because she was on the move from the very opening bell. And about a minute 15 into the fight, Rose Namajunas faked a punch, faked a kick, and then slipped a head kick in through her guard. Through Wiley's guard. Wiley's hands are up. And somehow, somehow, Rose plants a kick on the side of her chin and face and jawline and knocks her down and Wiley is out. I mean, she's... She's uh, she's down and she's out. How how Rose? I've seen people get knocked out with a kick when someone has their hands up, but it's never flush, right? They have their hands up and their hand, you know, and the person's leg, the the kicking leg and the hand all go into the face and and you know, knock them off balance, knock them down, and then they lose. This this one actually went in between her hands and caught her flush on the side of the face. Wiley Zhang goes down, Rose Namajunas jumps on her, drops some hammer fists, and the referee had no choice but to stop it. Wiley Zhang protested vehemently, but, I mean, look, you were kind of out on the kick, you were in and out in between those three or four punches she threw, and you were going to be out cold if you if, if they let it go because I mean it, it's early in the fight Rose is fresh and you were half in half I mean literally she was out on the way down she woke up when she got down there and then Rose hit her once and then kind of missed her she was kind of out again and she popped back up and then she dropped another one on her and I mean it was just it was not going to be pretty uh, let's just say that it was gonna be, it was gonna be ugly if they let it go anymore. And I understand she's protesting. She's knocked out. She doesn't know exactly what's going on. She's obviously concussed. And uh, look, you know, she wants to defend her belt and she wants to fight. I get it, but 
the ref absolutely did the right thing. I had no problem whatsoever with the stoppage. And Rose Namajunas is your new strawweight champion. Uh, she's extremely good, and it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for anyone to knock her off. I mean, she's beaten people that are scary like Joanna and now Wiley Zhang and Jessica Andrade. Right? Um, it, it's gonna be tough for anyone to take this title from her. She's She's got a newfound respect and love and admiration for being a champion. And I think that, you know, she's really going to put her best foot forward to keep the title. It's one of those things where when she first got it, she was happy but didn't understand the pressures that came with it. And then when she lost, she was almost relieved because she didn't know how to deal with the pressure. And then once it was gone, she was like, wow, you know, I really wish I was champion again. I'm the best. And you know, and she's got a very, very strong mindset. I mean, she says it over and over again. I am the best. When I do my best, I am the best. So all I have to do is do my best. And let me tell you something. For us regular Joes out there in life, those are words to live by. You know, I don't know that I'll ever be the best dad, but if I do my best, I am the best. It's just that simple. And and there's a certain truth there, right? Um, so to all of you out there, Take heed from Rose Namajunas. Do your best, and you will be the best. And that's all you can. That's all you can do, right? At the end of the day, that's all you can do, and that's all she can do. And she is right now the very best straw weight on the planet. Uh, so then we get to the main event of the evening: Kamaru Usman against Jorge Masvidal. <clears throat> and this is a rematch. These two fought in. I want to say it was in July of last year. And the, the wrinkle to that fight was uh, Gilbert Burns tested positive for COVID, I believe it was. So he had to drop out. And on six days' notice, George Masvidal, 20 pounds overweight, uh, 20 pounds over the weight limit, and uh, eating pizza uh, half a planet away because the fight was in Abu Dhabi and he was here in the U.S., had to go through COVID testing, get on a plane, go to, you know, go to uh, Abu Dhabi and Fight Island and... And then had to cut 20 pounds of weight. And then, oh, by the way, now that you've done all of that over the last six days, go ahead and get in a steel cage with Kamaru Usman for the 170-pound uh, strap. Kamaru Usman, who is, I think he's undefeated in the UFC. At, you know, I think he's 12-0 and 0 in the UFC. He's He's been an absolute steamroller. Uh you know, there's a, there's there's people that are that are talking about him being the greatest welterweight ever. They're putting him in the conversation with George St. Pierre. I think it's a little too soon, but he is certainly on his way. And performances like the last two, right? He he fought George Masvidal on on six days notice. So six days notice for him as well. Completely different opponent. Um, and he 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 won every single round of that fight. Five round decision. And then his next fight against Gilbert Burns really manhandled a guy who is very, very good. I mean, he's looking like he's looking like a very, very serious champ. And he's looking like the kind of guy that could be champ for a long time because uh, the, the weaknesses are getting smaller and smaller and smaller with Kamar Usman. Kamar Usman came onto the scene as a wrestler. But Kamar Usman is far more than just a wrestler at this point. He, um, you know, when when he started, when when they started training for the Gilbert Burns fight, they were both at the same camp down in Florida, and so Kamaru moved to Colorado to join Trevor Whitman's uh, gym, 
And Trevor Whitman is a master striker. He's a master striking coach. And Kamaru Usman's wrestling was always top-notch. He had car- he has cardio for days. He can go forever. He's just got that wrestling mentality, which we've talked about before. And now, you know, now he's got great striking. And, uh, and it shows. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So here we had one round of really good back and forth action. Uh, George Masvidal is an exceptional striker himself, and um, and, and they had a, a, quite a bit of a back and forth in the first round. But then in the second round, you could see Kamara Usman start to get more comfortable, and at one point, you know, just just you know, threw a left hook to kind of divert George's attention, and then absolute missile right hand right down the middle and he hit George square on the jaw knocked him out went down there to you know finish him off until the ref until the ref stopped it but there was really honestly there was no need the the one shot was it was just a it was a one shot KO just an incredible incredible shot um look people tend to not like Kamaru Usman and part of it is his trash talk game is terrible. I mean, I, I don't know how you judge that, but it's awful. It, it, he just says stuff that's just awful. Uh, you know, he started his career off with the whole I'm a problem thing, which it was just it was just dumb. Uh, <clears throat> after one fight, he's like, that was me at 30%. It, it, it's, it's trash talk doesn't work or doesn't come across well when you disparage your opponent. Now, that's not to say don't say you're going to kick his ass. Saying you're going to kick his ass is good trash talk. I mean, that that's good trash talk. But <clears throat> you disparaging him and, and you know, Saying that you did that at 30%. Look, if you're saying that you did that at 30%, then why are we going to watch? At the end of the day, we want to watch a competitive fight, right? So saying that the other guy is not even worthy to be in the cage with you, it's just, it's it kind of, it's not good. It doesn't work. It just does not work for the fight buildup. I know he thinks he's building up a fight. He'll take lines from other people, you know, like, Conor McGregor had, it's red panty night when you fight me, meaning it's a big payday. He says, you know, Kamaro's Nigerian, so he says it's a green panty night when you fight me. It's like, it's dumb. He's just terrible at it. But as bad as he is for trash talk, he's an exceptional fighter. And quite frankly, trash talk aside, I don't care. He could not say a word for his next fight. I, I don't care. I want to watch the guy fight. He's an incredible fighter. He comes in the, into the cage. He looks like he's just chiseled out of stone. And, you know, the guy can wrestle, and now the guy can strike. So it is a lot of fun to watch him fight now. Um, But in the end, he's probably the biggest winner of the night just because, you know, in a a stacked division at 170, he's looking more and more like the, um, like like he's going to be a long reigning king. And and, And he's looking very intimidating as a fighter at this point because like I said he can he can strike he can he can wrestle it's like where do I go with this guy um like where where 
if you're a fighter, where do you go? You know, I mean, I guess if you're a striker, you hope your striking is better than his. But then, if you know, if he decides to change it into a wrestling game, then you're screwed. If you're a wrestler, you hope you can avoid his striking and get him to the ground. But then he's good down there too. It's just he's he's a he's an absolute handful. And while I don't agree that he's the greatest welterweight ever. He's working his way into that conversation. A, a couple more dominant performances like this, and he, you're gonna have to put him right there with George St. Pierre, and and really, you know, hash out a debate. Um, but it's he's really good. He's really good. So a fantastic night of fights. Uh, just the drama of it, the buzz, the electricity in the building. I mean, it was it was booming through the TV, uh, and it was a lot of fun to watch. And I'm glad that the UFC is back with fans. I don't necessarily agree that it's the safest thing to do, but you know, I'm not going to tell people to not go. That's not, you know, that's not my job. And so <clears throat> if that's what they feel comfortable doing in Florida, then that's what they'll do. Uh, they're coming to Texas next month and, you know, I'm sure it'll be a packed house there too. I'm, I'm sure we can get 20,000 people to fill up that place. So <clears throat> there you go. Um, we are, let's change gears here. We're coming down the stretch now, right? Uh, the NBA season, teams are at about 60 games in. There's about 10 games left, 10, 12, 15, somewhere around there. 10, 12 games left in the season. And we're coming down to it uh, to determine who the 10 teams in the playoffs are. That's right, I said 10 teams in each conference. Because the NBA, in their infinite wisdom, has decided to do a play-in tournament, a play-in tournament to get into the playoffs. When there were eight teams in the playoffs, eight teams in each conference, that is, I said at that point, it's too many teams making the playoffs. The basketball is not good. They need to trim it down. They need to go to four because the first round of the playoffs, to me, is kind of a waste of time. The four-five matchup is interesting, but really, other than that, it's really not one, 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 eight, two, seven, three, six. Boring, right? You know who's going to win. There's very rarely a, a three that loses to a six. A one and a two hardly ever lose in the first round of the playoffs. So the NBA, in their infinite wisdom, with their dropping ratings in the first round of the playoffs, what do they do? They decide to add more teams so that now we can definitely have teams below 500 make the playoffs. So you're barely winning half, you're not even winning half of your games, but yet you're going to have a shot. I don't understand it. Why don't they just make the entire season a playoff? Why not just scrap the regular season and do two 15 team brackets, right? And, and just let them go at it. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. Um, and, and you know, the way the whole playing thing works, they've tried to make it nuanced and whatnot, and it's it's kind of dumb. I mean, I, there's, there's really no way for me to explain this other than it's just dumb. So seven plays against eight and nine plays against ten. The winner of the seven-eight game or series or whatever it is Becomes the seven seed. The loser gets to play to be in the to be the eight seed. 
against the winner of the 9-10 game series, whatever it is. So, <clears throat> the 9-10 can do no better than B8. The 7-8... Uh, the 7 can, you know, they, they play for the 7 and then the loser plays for the 8, so they get two bites at the apple, so to speak. It, it, it's silly. It, it's To me, it's silly. To me, they're devaluing their regular season more and more. And... Quite frankly, this this does absolutely nothing for me to be more interested in the playoffs. In fact, you know what this does? Actually, I take it back. I will be interested in the seven eight. I won't be interested in the seven eight at all. You know, actually, let me uh, let me look here real quick because I'm not sure. So. <clears throat> It's a play-in tournament. So, yeah, it's one game. It's one game. So, what's going to happen is this. This is what's going to happen for most fans. And, and I'm one of them. I'm going to be interested in... I'm not going to be interested in the 7-8 game. Because the winner of that game is going to be in the playoffs regardless, right? They should have been in the playoffs. They win a game. They're now in the playoffs. I don't care, right? It, you're giving the winner something he should have already had. The loser, I'm going to watch the 9-10 game because one of those fools with a losing record could be a team with as many as seven games below 500, which is what we have right now in the 10-hole. The the I'm going to watch the 9-10 game because one of those guys is going to have a shot. And then I'm going to watch the loser of the 7-8 game against the winner of the 9-10 game because that's going to be the 8-seed. I'm going to watch um, so I'm going to watch 3 of the 4 games, right? But then I'm not going to watch the first round of the playoffs because the first round of the playoffs is still going to be terrible. <laughs> because the only series that's going to be worth anything is going to be the 4-5 series. The 3-6 series may provide a little drama. The 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 2-7 and the 1-8 waste of time. <clears throat> complete waste of time. The days of Dikembe Mutombo on the floor holding the basketball after him his eight-seeded Nuggets knocked off the number one-seeded Seattle Supersonics. And just by saying Seattle Supersonics, you know how far back I'm going. I'm going way back because they haven't been around for a while. That one versus eight drama, that's never. That's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. It's a, again, colossal waste of time. And adding more teams with terrible records... Is not the way to go. Right now in the Eastern Conference, the eight seed is thirty and thirty. The eight seed in the <clears throat> in the Western Conference is thirty-one and twenty-nine. Okay, we got got we got teams with five hundred or better. Fantastic. So instead of making our playoffs better with better basketball, we're gonna go ahead and add two more teams in. The ten the ten seed. In the West is 31 and 30. And the only reason we're going to be interested in watching them is because it's the Golden State Warriors and they have Steph Curry. Otherwise, we wouldn't care. In the in the East, it's the Washington Wizards at 27 and 34. 27 and 34. That's a 443 win percentage. For those of you with a calculator. So we're going to let a team that wins 44% of their games into the playoffs. Terrible idea. 
It's just a terrible idea. And I know they're trying to do it for ratings, and I, 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 I applaud them for trying, but this is not the way to do it. You have to make your regular season more meaningful. You have to... Uh, you have to have less playoff teams. This is just terrible. Uh, looking at the standings here real quick. Look, the Eastern Conference, the race for the one seed is interesting. It's it's come down to the Nets and the, and the Sixers. It's one game. I think they were very they will very clearly be one and two. The Bucks are sitting at three. And the Knicks, the Knicks. That's right, I said the Knicks. That would be the New York Knicks are sitting at three and four. The Hawks are at five, tied with the Knicks, um, and then the Celtics at six. Now, just a half game behind them are the Miami Heat, and there's a big difference between being sixth and seventh, right? Because six, you're in the playoffs. Seven, you got to play your way into the playoffs. Followed by Charlotte, Indiana, and Washington round out the top ten, and you don't even want to know who's below that because, for Christ's sakes, if Washington is at... Uh, 27 and 34. Do you really want to know who the other teams are that are worse than that? No. Uh, the interesting thing in the East is it really comes down to uh, the Nets and the Sixers. They really look to be head and shoulders above. No, maybe not head and shoulders, but they look to be pretty darn good. And they seem to be very much on a collision course to uh, <clears throat> to meet up in the conference finals. But, you know, anything can happen. Imagine if your conference semifinals are the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks. Wow. That would be that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be absolutely amazing. Out west, you've got the Jazz uh, leading the Suns only a game out. The Clippers two games out. The Nuggets sitting at four, and then a considerable drop down to five where you've got the Los Angeles Lakers eight games out. Two and a half games behind them in the six hole, which again is very important, the Dallas Mavericks. Then you've got the Trailblazers, the Grizzlies, the Spurs, and the Warriors in the uh, play-in tournament right now. Now, what's interesting is two things that interest me about the West. One, uh, Utah... Started off hot, and we thought they would fizzle out at some point, and they haven't. They're really good. In fact, they own the best record in the NBA. So, they're a damn good basketball team. Uh, So, as much as we thought they were going to fizzle away at some point, they have not. They have kept it going. Remember, they had that big 13-game winning streak, I think, early in the season. Uh, they're they're damn good. But look, even right behind them with the second best record in the NBA is the Phoenix Suns. And the resurgence of Chris Paul is amazing. Uh, You know, that guy, when he got traded away from the Rockets and sent to Oklahoma City, I mean, everyone thought he was done. And he's not. (laughs) He's not. He's playing tremendous basketball. Uh, He's a great uh, steady veteran hand for that team and <clears throat> you know uh, really doing wonders for them the development of Devin Booker continues DeAndre Ayton's playing well I mean they're they're a good team all the way around at this point um, and they're looking pretty solid as well but it should be very interesting the one thing there's two things that interest me beyond that one is the Lakers with 10 games left Anthony Smith is supposed to be coming back this week 
LeBron James is supposed to be not far from coming back. But, you know, they're only three and a half games ahead of Portland in the seventh spot. Uh, you know, they could have to play in that play-in tournament. And while I think in a small way having the injuries to Anthony Davis and LeBron James are a blessing because they're going to be rested when they come back to the playoffs, they're going to have to get a few games under their belt to kick off the rust. Um, if they end up in the play-in tournament, you know, one game could knock you out. Well, if they end up seven or eight, it would take two games to knock you out. But again, kind of a dicey situation, right? If they, But if they can make it back, Hold on to that five spot. They won't have home court advantage against the Nuggets, but you know they can play with the Nuggets. And and granted, Jokic is uh, is having an MVP season, but you know when LeBron and Anthony Davis both get on the floor, it's going to be a tough go for anybody, including Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. So those are some of the things we're looking at. Um, the other thing of interest. You know, will will Zion Williams Williamson make it to the playoffs with the Pelicans? They are, you know, they're four games behind the Warriors in that ten seed. Uh, it's looking rough for them to make up that much ground, but unfortunately, it looks like he's just going to be a really good player on a team that's not going to be in the playoffs. That's just the way it goes. So <clears throat> anyway, so those are the two. Uh, the, the two big sports things I want to talk about. I mean, certainly there's a lot of baseball to talk about. Jacob DeGrom looking like he's rolling towards another Cy Young. The man's got more RBI this year than runs allowed. That's impressive. If you do that in one game, it's impressive. If you do it over the course of two games, eh, still pretty impressive. He's four starts in, man. Four starts in and he has more RBI than runs allowed. Let that sink in. I mean, that's... Pretty incredible when you think about it. Uh, we've had a no-hitter already this season. The Padres and Dodgers treated us to a memorable series this past weekend. The first time they played in San Diego, it's kind of boring. <laughs> Los Angeles pretty much had their way. But this last one in L.A. was a treat. It had a really a playoff atmosphere. So there's a lot of stuff going on in baseball, but we have a long road to hoe there. Uh, we'll, we're going to have lots of podcasts to talk about uh, what's going on in the baseball world uh, going forward. So we'll leave that for another day. As always, folks, if you want to reach out to us, if you want to share your thoughts with us about the fights, about basketball, about baseball, about sports, about life in general, we don't care. You can always email the show, positivesports10 at gmail.com, positivesports10 at gmail.com. If you want to reach my brother and talk to him, I'm sure he is studying his draft notes for the uh, NFL Draft, which kicks off on Thursday evening uh, of this week. So if you want to talk football with him, I'm sure he's got all kinds of ideas of who the Giants need to draft. That's probably what he's doing right now. You can reach him on Twitter at BrooklynGaucho1. And hey, if you want to get a hold of me and talk fights, talk uh, baseball, talk football, talk whatever, talk running, I don't care. You can reach me on Twitter as well, at eMontana21. As always, you can get our podcast on YouTube so you can see my smiling face. Or you can listen to us on Podbean, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, whatever listening uh, podcast, podcast listening platform you choose to use. Uh, as always, folks, it's been great talking to you. It's been great 
sharing my thoughts with you. I've missed you guys over the last couple of weeks. I apologize for the short hiatus, but we are back with a vengeance. As always, folks, ignore the negativity. Be the positivity. Peace.